0: Welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring, and post-Reorg in the European and CMEA markets. It's Tuesday, January 16th, and I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, we're going to be delving into the key insights from Reorg's 2023 European High Yield Bonds Wrap. Then we will chat about Swedish real estate company SBB, which has been under the spotlight of distressed debt investors due to liquidity concerns throughout 2023. We will then run through the key highlights from the primary market this past week. But first, we're going to dig into Reorg's 2023 EMEA schemes and Part 26A wrap, which was recently published. We are now joined by Shan Qureshi, Head of Legal Restructuring Initiatives. Hi, Shan, and thanks for being part of the podcast. You've put together a summary of the schemes and Part 26A that your team covered in 2023, and our listeners can access that detailed report uh, on reorg.com forward slash reports. Additionally, you'll find the link to this comprehensive summary in the podcast description. So, Shan, perhaps you can give us a quick summary. What is a scheme? and what is a
1: Part 26A and what are they used for? Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be on the EMEA podcast. Yeah, so yeah, it's useful to understand what, what these tools are. So I'm sure the majority of our listeners will be familiar, but both the scheme and the Part 26A are non-consensual court-led processes which allow the implementation of a restructuring or a financial restructuring in the, in the UK. Um, the scheme process is, you know, it's over a hundred years old, uh, with many, many precedents. The Part Twenty Six A is just three years old, so a lot, lot less number of um, pre- a lot less, a lot fewer precedents uh, for the Twenty Six A process. Now, both of the processes require two court hearings before the English courts, um, a convening hearing where creditor classes are convened and a sanction hearing following a creditor vote. And in both processes, 75% of the vote in favour of creditors in each class is required for the tool to pass. The key difference is that schemes do not have a cross-class cram-down power. That means in a scheme, every single class invited to vote on the scheme must vote in favour in order for it to pass, whereas a 26A you only need uh, one in the money class to vote in favour to be able to cram down dissenting classes. There are a few other differences, but those are the uh, main differences. And of course, they can be used to implement basically any amendment to a contractual obligation between a borrower and its lenders.
0: Great. Okay, now
1: we have the basics covered. What did you see in 2023? So, looking at 2023 let's first consider schemes so the english courts have always shown themselves to be pragmatic uh, and allowing uh, schemes to be used to restructure debts even though there's outstanding conditions to the completion of a restructuring so for example uh, last year we saw schemes allowed to progress where scheme companies were you know the scheme was contingent on the company obtaining licenses uh, to be able to operate licenses in respect to the Russia sanctions, we also saw further pragmatism uh, this year or last year in in the use of a scheme to make distributions from an administration. Now we see this as a welcome addition to the utility of the scheme process and allows the scheme to act as a workaround uh, for companies which are caught by sanctions or other regulatory issues. We also saw a lot of uh, schemes which are used to address redress claims. Now, redress claims are claims, uh, um, class claims which are made by individuals who have claims or misrepresentation against lenders. And in these schemes, we saw the involvement of the Financial Conduct Authority, or the FCA. Now, involvement of the FCA can create additional cost uncertainty and, obviously, execution risk. For the 1,500 or so banks, building societies, credit unions, issuers, and other investment firms that are regulated by the FCA. So, usefully, last year, the FCA provided guidance to schemes who are attempting to compromise their Regis claims. Um, we all put together some, some summaries of this guidance, but essentially, it's common sense. The, the scheme company has to provide early engagement with the FCA and keep it appraised as to the scheme process, inform its creditors with information pitched at the correct level, and provide evidence of fairness of the redress scheme. So that's a summary of of the schemes in 2023. What about part 26As? Well, interestingly, we saw two failed plans in 2023, and we also saw a fully launched appeal of another, Adler, This demonstrates that when a company launches a plan it's not it's not a guaranteed success. Um, We've seen more plans rejected by the English courts and more plans challenged by aggrieved creditors than we have seen with schemes during 2023. Now the reason for these are in my view twofold. Number one, the plan is much newer than the scheme process and there's several uncertainties that need to be tested and decided upon by the English courts. And by this very nature, some plans will fail. Secondly, the cross-class cramdown mechanism in itself is a much more powerful and potentially egregious weapon to use against out of the money creditors than any power in the scheme. And with the wielding of this power will come more challenge and more scrutiny from both the court and creditors. And what more interestingly perhaps will we see in 2024? Okay, so yeah, what will we see in 2024? Well, I'm going to hark back to the, the the challenge point. I think we're going to see more challenges of plans and potentially more challenges of schemes. Um, the reason for this is I think creditors can see that uh, a, a well-executed and a well-challenged, well, well so a well-executed challenge can result in, a, in, in an outcome for creditors who are aggrieved by a scheme or a Part 26A. So we will see more English court challenges. The second part is slightly more technical. I think we will see more parallel or interlocking schemes. What does this mean? Well, at the moment, the ruling Gibbs is still good law, and this means, in short, that only an English court can compromise the claims of English law-governed debt. So if you have any non-English forum trying to amend English law debt, those amendments... Where they are undertaken by a foreign law court for example france spain germany the netherlands that amendment is not going to be recognized by the english courts that means that your purported amendments are not effective and you open yourself up to challenge in the english courts Uh, and we saw that in a few cases during 2023 so what will we see well i think we'll see interlocking schemes as i mentioned this means that you will have a parallel proceeding you will have your foreign overseas restructuring tool, be that in Germany, France, Netherlands. And at the same time, you will have an English process scheme, part 26A. That gives you the recognition you need in the English courts and prevents from English, and binds your English law or government creditors. Now, back to the first point, this is where we could also see more challenge because these processes, the English court-led processes, the foreign law led court processes don't necessarily dovetail in process in tests and in other factors required to pass the restructuring so probably see a bit more um, challenge around those
0: we would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience so please take a moment to complete the short survey in the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing now joined by Bart Capici, our Senior Covenants Lawyer at Reorg, about the 2023 European High Yield Bonds Wrap, which was published on Monday. Bart, thanks for joining us. What were the market trends that
2: you highlighted in this
0: year's wrap? Well,
2: 2023 was a funny year in the European High Yield Bond market, with a mix of good and bad news on pretty much all fronts. How so? Well, in terms of total market sizes, volume reached 57 billion euros, more than double the 26 billion we saw in 2022, but still far short of the 119 billion in 2021. Maturity stayed steady, with more than half the bonds issued having a five-year tenor. Seven-year bonds were the next largest group, but were still only 15% of the market. Coupons ranged from 4.71% to 12.25%, with a median of 7.3% up from 6% in 2022. All of the bonds that came to market last year were rated between B minus and double B plus, and triple C rated bonds have been absent from the market since the first quarter of 2022. In terms of use of proceeds, the great majority of bonds, 75%, were primarily for refinancing, with M&A next at 12%, down from 15% the year before. Dividend recaps were only 1% of the market, but if you consider only fully covenanted deals, which most sponsored transactions are, and include transactions where they were a use of proceeds but not the primary use, then dividend recaps grew to the second largest category at 14%. The increase in dividend recaps and the drop in acquisition financings are really two sides of the same coin. With the M&A market depressed and exit options limited accordingly, private equity sponsors turned to dividend recaps in order to provide returns to their investors. So how did this impact covenants on bonds? Well, on the whole, we saw a retreat in aggressive bond terms with features like an available amount second builder basket, two times contribution debt, and dividend to debt toggles all retreating. In part, this reflects the prevalence of refinancings. Most of these deals recycled their existing covenant packages in an effort to convince existing investors to roll into the new bonds, and so they weren't willing to upset them by introducing new issuer-friendly features. However, there were some extremely aggressive terms in M&A financings, in particular Synlab's 2031 Senior Secured Notes, which had some of the most aggressive covenants we saw last year. Okay, very interesting. Um, I'd be keen to know if there were any trends that you didn't expect. Well, the interesting thing is that notwithstanding the retreat in aggressive terms, quantifiable day one general purpose covenant capacities actually increased. For example, the ability to incur additional senior secured debt increased to 282% of EBITDA, up significantly from 190% in 2022. And the ability to transfer value to unrestricted subsidiaries increased to 151% of EBITDA, up from 110%. Now, that's a bit counterintuitive. But then you have to remember that many aggressive covenant terms, such as calculation flexibilities and the absence of default blockers, they don't result in day one quantifiable capacities. Also, the aggressive bonds that we saw tended to have very large covenant baskets. So Synlab's 2031 senior secured notes had additional senior secured debt capacity of 486% of EBITDA. And what did investors think of this? Well, investor pushback on aggressive terms actually declined. It only appeared in 15% of deals. Again, this was driven in part by the large number of refinancings, as existing investors are unlikely to resist terms that they've already accepted in prior deals. It's also a function of supply and demand, with pushback declining when a lot of money is chasing not a lot of deals. Where we did see pushback, though, it tended to focus on value leakage and additional debt capacity. Okay,
0: And what do you expect 2024 will bring?
2: It's always hard to say, but I think we're likely to see more of the same. There are some big macroeconomic and political uncertainties, including the situation in the Middle East and the elections in the United States and Europe. And everyone will be watching the Fed and the European Central Bank for hints on where interest rates are likely to go. All of these could move the market one way or another, although I suspect any moves will be incremental with a corresponding impact on the high-yield bond market. But as with everything, time will tell. Thank you for joining us, Bart. And
0: if you're interested in reading more about market trends over the course of last year, please check out our 2023 European High Yield Bonds Wrap, which is available on our website, reorg.com. Thank you. I'm now joined by credit analyst, Shenda Sui. Hi, Shenda. You've been covering SPV, the Swedish real estate company, Can you tell us about some of the work you've been doing recently?
3: Yes, of course. So SBB has been in the spotlight throughout 2023 due to their liquidity concerns. They have taken steps like uh, property sales and the receipt of intercompany loans repayment, which are positive. Uh, And actually just last month, it further announced that it will defer their interest payments on all of its hybrid bonds to strengthen their liquidity. But their ability to meet future liquidity needs is still under concern. Uh, According to its latest Q3 report, it has about 6.5 billion Swedish krona secure loans and about 7 billion unsecured debt coming due in the next 12 months. It also has over 5 billion maturities in total coming due in the first quarter of 2025.
0: Okay, and given these challenges, what strategies could SPP employ to navigate through this period?
3: So they have a multi-pronged approach. Take could further delay, the 2024 dividend roll over secured loans, dispose of a majority stake of uh, of their residential portfolio, and lastly, to renegotiate about 3.5 billion Swedish krona in their unused credit facilities. And these steps are critical for SBB to maintain operational liquidity until at least 2026. We estimate um, its liquidity runway based on various scenarios I just mentioned, and the analysis can be found on our website.
0: Okay, wonderful. Um, So based on Reorg's valuation model on SBB, there's a considerable discount to book value for its real
3: estate portfolio. Could you elaborate on this? Of course. So our, our DCF model values the SBB portfolio at about 53 billion, and this includes the community and residential real estate portfolios. So this result indicates a discount to current book value of about 29 per, 29%. Okay, so what about
0: the recovery of the unsecured notes?
3: Well, under our uh, waterfall analysis, the recovery rate for the unsecured notes is about 88% in our base case scenario and 100% in the upside scenario and 74% in the downside scenario. And if we see a recovery in the real estate market and a halt to the interest rate increases, the outlook for SPB could be brighter. So its unsecured bonds could be well covered as suggested in our high case. However. The hybrid notes and other forms of debt that ranks below the unsecured bonds in SBB's capital structure would still face limitation. So even in this more f- uh, favorable market conditions, the recovery rate on these instruments might only reach up to about 15%.
0: Thank you, Shanda. <music> Joining us now is Leverage Loan reporter Beatrice Mervolian. Hi, Beatrice. Can you tell us what's been going on in the primary market this past week?
4: The primary market has been very active this week after um, parking operator Q Park and uh, Fedragoni, the specialist paper packaging company, uh, um, priced their notes last week. This week, um, toilet paper company WEPA is marketing €250 million of senior secured notes for debt redemption and refinancing. Um, Investors argued that the company is well managed and leverage is low, although exposure to raw material and energy costs is high and the debt has been launched at the group's um, peak of performance. Burford Capital is also marketing $200 million of senior unsecured notes for general corporate purposes. Um, repricings are becoming a prominent feature of the market. Um, business services group Tricor Vistra launched a repricing of its 599 million dollar and 816 million euro term loan bees today. And business services company uh, TMF Group is also repricing its euro and dollar term loan bees. France-based CVC-owned specialty diagnostic company, Sevier, is, is expected to launch a repricing imminently. And ADVENT-backed um, identity technology provider, Edemier, has also launched a repricing of its dollar term loan, um, which is expected to be followed by a repricing of, of its Euro tranche next week. MKS Instruments, Parts Europe, Aircom, Merlin Entertainment, and Group of Butchers also marketing loans. About 15 loans are expected to come to the primary market across, across the remainder of January and February, investors have said, many of which are likely to be re- refinancings, AEs, and repricings. About 10 bonds are expected to be marketed over the next month at the same time. And um, although the, the number of LBO financings um, this year is expected to be still relatively limited, three LBO financings are are expected to come to the primary market over the next few weeks.
0: Download Reorg's EMEA Restructuring Wrap 2023 and Gaming Sector Review, available at reorg.com forward slash reports. You can find the links to these reports in the podcast description, so please don't miss out on the latest industry analysis. Join REORG on Tuesday, January 30th at 3 p.m. GMT or 10 a.m. Eastern Time for an insightful discussion on the top trends in high-yield bonds and leveraged loans. We'll be analysing the quantitative and qualitative divergence and convergence in covenants, pushback frequencies, and providing a comprehensive outlook for 2024. REORG's Marina Irklienko and Oscar Lurika Will also be at Deal Catalyst European Direct Lending and Middle Market Conference on January 29th. Marina speaks on the rapid ascent of private credit, while Oscar discusses the evolving role of banks in private credit. More details visit reorg.com forward slash events more information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.